All right, back here on the Ohioan. Uh, man, we have lots of rock, uh, well, Hall of Fame here in Ohio, and um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Craig, I, I got to confess something. I have never been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Which oh, wow. Is, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I The closest I came, we took a college trip up, and I had some friends who just really weren't comfortable with rock and roll music, just in general. So we arranged to go to a separate place. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like to go. I, I just it was kind of a – had some friends who just didn't like rock at the time. <laughs> we just made another choice. Okay. I got to be honest with you, Craig. The thing I don't <clears throat> like about Hall of Fame, I think we talked about this about the time the Pro Football Hall of Fame made their picks. I don't like how someone could say, hey, we've been waiting for 20 years. Now we're finally in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if it's baseball, football, <clears throat> rock and roll, inventors, uh, journalists, I look at it and say, hey, if you have a Hall of Fame, make it, make it, say you have to wait five years or whatever the rule is. If you're in it, you're in it. If you're not, you're not. Not this, but hey, the world doesn't operate that way, and that's fine. I can't control everything in the world. Um, Akron, though, and I'm surprised. You know, I grew up in that area, and I never knew Akron was such a big hotbed for music. You look yeah. at, you know, Christy Hyde and the Pretenders, uh, the Black Keys. Uh, I'm trying to think of others who have come from Akron, uh, but probably arguably most notably was a band called Devo. Now, Craig, when I think of Devo, I only think of one song, Whip It. Uh, do right, you know any right. of Devo songs? I do not, no. Devo, not that Devo's not a good band or anything, but that's that's really, and I'm not calling them a one-hit wonder, but yeah, that's the only song that's I can song really I can say. Play. That's what I know. Although I'm a music fan, I'm not, like, I'm not sitting there going, wow, I like Whip It, so let's look at their whole, you know, catalog. I just right. say, if I like a song, I'll listen to it. You know, and just leave it at that. So, well, we'll bring this up because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is having their nominations. I'm not sure when they're actually picking the um, final choices, but, you know, Diva's up for the Hall of Fame. And man, Akron is getting behind it. On April 1st, and it wasn't an April Fool's Day prank, Akron had this big day for Devo where, you know, the city threw some stuff behind it. And, hey, they were promoting their guys' Devo. And probably what the most famous thing, well, I guess you could argue for LeBron James, but Goodyear is a definite product from Akron. And if you say, what do you know about Akron? To somebody all over the country, they'll probably say Goodyear or LeBron or whatever. Well, Goodyear is has this blimp that is um, honoring Devo. Um, uh, they did a video talking about Beautiful World. And the video, I guess it's a Devo song. And they did a video of the blimp that goes along with Beautiful World. And their idea is they're trying to just really promote, you know, Devo and Goodyear. And just trying to say, hey, you know, Devo Malai, it should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know, kind of smart for Goodyear, right? I mean, you know, good PR to link up with a favorite band locally. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of people probably – you know, good the Goodyear blimp and you know blimps in general maybe are iconic to some degree, but they're they're probably a little bit, you know, passe a little. But I think it's kind of a cool marketing stunt to to try to dredge up some interest. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you can you know fan vote for up to five nominees daily through May seventh. It looks like so. You know, I'm guessing that that means that the fans essentially pick. You know the, the 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 Hall of Fame. Then I mean, usually, you know, in sports you have you know whether it's sports writers or committee members that vote. So it looks like I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know if that's the only way that you get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but um, I'm I'm guessing that maybe the fans decide who gets into the Hall of Fame. And you know, it's just, it's also weird. I've always thought too the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame though is. Is it really? It's obviously not just for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I see Jay Z and LL Cool J are involved here uh, among the nominees, you know, listed. So it's kind of a strange, eclectic group of uh, of you know applicants or sub submissions this year for the Hall of Fame, and maybe maybe that's why you see people that you know haven't been around for a while finally get nominated or what. However, the process works, but um, you know. 
I know you were talking earlier about uh, you're either in, you're out, and maybe that's why it takes so long because there's so many artists that are eligible, maybe, and so many uh, you know people to choose from, and there's only five that can get in. So maybe it's uh, just a little bit of a challenge that way. Well, I like it when, like with sports, there's a number. Like you, you think of the baseball. Sometimes they say, "Hey, if you have 500 home runs, man, that you're pretty much in the Hall of Fame." What an impressive number! Or right, right. Baseball, we haven't had a 300 game winner for a while, but it used to be, man, if you win 300 games, man, you're you're in. Right. Or like football, there might be an accomplishment, or they might say, I think about a quarterback, um, like Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. Some people say, okay, we think he's going to be in because he's won two Super Bowls. So if you win that title, you have it. Right. I'm looking for this list, and, and to say nothing bad about any of these people, like I look at a Todd Rundgren. Yeah, he had his fans, but what is it in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that says you're your Hall of Fame worthy? You know what I mean? Right. Like, do you have to right. agree to me? Do you have to have like ten songs that people really love? I mean, I don't even know what the protocol is. Like, and I would imagine that the fans have like a, a percentage of the vote. I mean, I can't believe it's fans only. But right. how do you look at like uh, Dion Warwick? Okay, yeah. She, now she's more of a soft pop person. But what what? How do you look at Dion Warwick's career and say, oh, if she's a Hall of Famer or a Todd Rundgren or even a more well known, you know, like a Tina Turner or somebody like that? I mean, what's the standard? What are you looking for? Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a good question because, like you said, in other sports, there's always sort of a you know, like a litmus test that you have to reach that, you know, you're going to get in if you reach a certain milestone or if you win, you know, multiple championships or if you have 3,000 hits in baseball, you know, there's always sort of a, you know, magic number, so to speak. So I kind of wonder if there's a magic number or sort of this way of, of knowing that, okay, this is a Hall of Fame level career. I mean, obviously there are some people on this list that, you know, you just, you just know, you know, Jay-Z or the Go-Go's or Tina Turner Mary J. Blige. A lot of people know LL Cool J, um, although mostly they might know him more for his acting. But you know, Rage Against the Machines. You know, or Rage Against the Machine is always a you know popular band. But you know, again, they haven't been around you know in the in the mainstream for a long time. Foo Fighters is obviously popular and has a long you know long tradition of, of putting out good music. So you know, you kind of wonder what the what the the bar is that they have to, to reach to in order to make that that jump into the hall of fame is it a certain number of records sold is it just popular you know popularity i mean what is it in in rock and roll slash music that gets into this exclusive club well and here's my conspiracy theory i think it's all bunk i think rock and roll hall of fame is bunk football hall of fame is bunk all hall of fame is bunk because if you look at it while you were talking i clicked on the vote um link where it lets you vote well and i'm thinking hey maybe i can look at a bio for each one you know like but all it says is just click on it so when i click on dion warwick she goes into my ballot so here's what i'm thinking if the hall of fame sitting there going wow we better make sure like dion warwick said what a career she had compared to somebody else wouldn't they sit there and give a bio like, so you can, right. you can Google Dionne Warwick and there's billions of articles about her. But is it just a popularity contest? And you might say, boy, that's a bunch of crap. But if somebody like Dionne Warwick's in the Hall of Fame, don't you think more Dionne Warwick fans, if there's more of them out there, would make the track to Cleveland than if it was the Craig and Chris duo where nobody's going to want to go to Cleveland and see us in the Hall of Fame? You know what I mean? Yeah. Is a popularity contest be? Like, you look at football. They're having two classes of 20 people on a Hall of Fame weekend. You know how long that ceremony is going to go? It's going to go forever. Right. And But I read more about the Hall of Fame, not just saying, hey, they're deserving. It's almost like, I think, like, the Steelers are playing this year against the Cowboys in the Hall of Fame game. They're like, wow, look at all the Steelers are going in. You can watch them go in and watch the team play in the Hall of Fame game. So it's more of a marketing ploy. Then really, uh, oh man, well we can honor like Bill Cower who's one of the inductees, I, and and believe me, I've gotten emails because I tell the NFL I'm a Steelers fan, so I got all these marketing 
emails talking about that. And I'm like, so is it about, hey, you know, Bill Cowher is a really good coach, or is it more about, man, look at all the people we can get if we can put Bill Cowher in, in the Hall of Fame? Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know. Like I said, I don't. We don't really know for sure that this is the end all, be all vote, but you can actually look at the vote totals right now. Um, unfortunately yeah. for Devo, they're they're sort of struggling right now. Uh, they're in eighth place. If this is a top five and cut it off, right now they're in eighth place. So they need to get uh, get some votes out there if people want to see them in the Hall of Fame. Although surprisingly, they are ahead of Dion Warwick. And they're ahead of Rage Against the Machine. Uh, they're also surprisingly, maybe to me, is Jay Z is in last place. Now, yeah. you know, being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, maybe not a lot of rock and roll people know or like Jay Z, but uh, kind of surprised to see Jay Z, who's you know produced hit after hit after hit, um, down below LL Cool J, who really hasn't made a lot of music in quite some time. So it's kind of a little surprising that Jay Z's down at the bottom of the list, but again, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, if this is the only means to get into the Hall of Fame or not, but uh, it's an interesting vote total. Tina Turner obviously leads right now, uh, 451,000 plus votes for her, so she kind of leads the way. So, um, who's Felix Cootie? I have no clue. Um, I, I got to admit, I don't know. Well, and see, I've been talking. We talk about this in promoting the podcast. We say, hey, share it. So, you know, you and I are frequently retweeting our posts now, which is fine. <clears throat> That's what we should do. Well, if I'm wondering, to compare it to this Hall of Fame voting, do you think people who are doing better are more actively soliciting the votes? I mean, look at Devo. I mean, you know, Akron had their big Devo day to get publicity. I'm sure Akron's... In, uh, as part of the day, they're encouraging people to go vote, 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 vote. Um, I well, no, I should be embarrassed. Maybe Fila Cootie is this well-known musician, yeah. but maybe you know people who like Fila is like having this big social media campaign. Hey, vote for him! Yeah, you know, kind of like the baseball star game. Right. Yeah, you know, there's been <laughs> pushes of uh, people to vote for people who aren't even that good to say. Yeah, hey, let's vote this guy who's not that good in the game. Or right. like if the Indians games will be like, hey, vote for all Indians. Well, right. maybe they all deserve to be in the Hall, Hall of Fame or the All-Star game. Well, it does say that the top five artists selected by the public will be the fan ballot. And that's wow. they said it will be tallied with the other ballots to choose the 2021 <laughs> inductees. I mean, I, I'm kind of curious. I wonder if they just put this out there to see like who the fans want to see. And, you know, I'm sure that I don't know how many other people vote on this, like actual Hall of Fame ballot voters. Um, but I kind of wonder if they just get a gauge of what people want to see. And then maybe they they pick, you know, the top vote getter. If Like, I mean, I, I think everybody knows Tina Turner, since she's eligible, is likely going to be in the Hall of Fame. Right. I don't think it's going to take a fan vote to get her into the Hall of Fame. But I kind of wonder, like, if Fila Cootie, for instance, is someone that they didn't know whether or not they wanted to put in the Hall of Fame. Well, knowing now that he's got, you know, 438,000 votes, maybe that pushes him into the Hall of Fame conversation, um, you know, because the fans actually want it. So I kind of wonder if that's what they do is, is just to kind of dredge up popularity to see if someone stands out that they weren't really thinking about maybe or something like that, and then they can automatic, you know, not automatically, but just put them in or consider putting them in, you know, whether it's this year or I guess you can, I mean, I don't know if you're on the ballot for so many years and then you're off the ballot like you are in other sports, but um, I don't know. I just kind of wonder if maybe that's how, how they're doing it is just to kind of dip their toe in the water about what people think about these, these artists. Here's what we need to do. I'm not a huge fan of the All-Star game either. I feel like a golf my long guys more. You're like, I don't like the Hall of Fame, the All-Star game. Um, you know, well, I'll just go off for a half hour and all this stuff I don't like in life. But one of my favorite stories about the All-Star game was the year, um, I think it was in Nashville, uh, hockey. Uh, John Scott, who's an enforcer, who, yeah, he's a pretty good enforcer, but uh, fighters don't usually make the All-Star game. Uh, they had this push. Get John Scott in the All-Star game. Well, I don't know if you, Craig, you're a hockey guy. I don't know if you remember. 
John Scott wasn't doing well. He was actually in the minor leagues, but they put him in the all-star game kind of as a joke. But, you know, he kind of got the joke and he went along with it. The guy ended up scoring two goals in the all-star game, and he either got the MVP. And, you know, some people argue and say, hey, maybe they'll let him score. I mean, uh, you know, the all-star game is a little bit finicky. I mean, it wouldn't make it like, oh, John Scott's the next Wayne Gretzky or something. But it was a, a cute, fun story. So what we need to do, and we're almost done for segment, so we can't do it today. Uh, maybe we need to pick. I mean, they've already had the nominees this year. What if we pick as a fan vote some very obscure, unknown group, the John Scott of rock and roll music, and we can start a groundswell and get that band or person in next year's Hall of Fame? Well, I guess the, the question is who would we you know choose well, and that's what we got to think about over the next couple of weeks because if we said now, we'd probably say something that doesn't make sense. But let us know if you're out there. See, we got always ask for fan support. If there is an obscure band, and it might be a band that is national but it's obscure, or even better yet, Craig, your, your friends that listen to the show from Fremont, is there a Fremont bar band? Now, I know the bar bands have not been out as much because of COVID. But is there an obscure band that we want to propel to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, even Fremont, Columbus, and then we have uh, a lot of supporters in the Canton area? If there's a band like that, let us know. Maybe we can put our weight behind it. <laughs> and we have a lot of weight behind it. But no, but um, if we, you know, throw our support and see what we can do, wouldn't that be okay. exciting? That would, yeah, okay, we can do that. And... and Whenever this podcast eventually comes in, we could be like, this is one good thing we did. We <laughs> helped propel the obscure bar band to the rock and roll. So, yeah. okay. All right, let us know what you think in the comments. Thanks for checking out the Highland. Check out our sponsors. They help keep us going. Listener support. We've got contests. And, and right now, if you give us listener support, you might win the contest. So uh, we have a contest for you to win a copy of Hope Interrupted uh, book. All you got to do is support us. Go to the Listen Support tab. Um, support us. Each dollar gives you a chance of winning our contest. So check our contest and uh, check out the Hope Interrupted book and podcast as well. Uh, thanks, Craig. We'll be back shortly for another segment. All right. We're back here on the Ohioan with, my goodness, probably what, six-time guest, seven-time guest. I, I've lost count. Megan Henry. Yes, Megan <laughs> Henry from the Columbus Dispatch. And that's a good thing. I mean, it's not like, oh, I've done this seven times. I mean, hey, we're, we're lo- we lost count, which is a good thing. We always love having her on. And um, thank you again for coming on the show. Of course. I'm always happy to happy to be here. I feel kind of like an SNL host uh, who's, you know, like a, yes. you know who comes yeah, back. Yeah, all I, the time. Like we, I mean, we talked off air for about 10 minutes, which was good catching up. But maybe we should have done. Uh, what's that? Those cheesy little skits they do when they're like, "Oh, you're a five-time host," and they put you in the back room and they give you a coat or whatever. You know, maybe we should do that. I don't know. I, you know, I do wouldn't be I, I know if it's because of the pandemic. I haven't seen that sketch on SNL for a long time. We haven't had those repeat hosts. I used to watch those all the time as a kid. So I don't know. Well, we'll have to do that sometime. Maybe after the COVID, we'll start doing these. Weird ceremonies where we give you gifts for being an eight-time or a guest or whatever else the case might be. Well, and as you might know, when we first started talking to Megan, it was uh, she was doing a lot more health, but you know, beat switch to the dispatch, which is good. We've got a lot of versatile reporters could do a lot of different things, which is great. So Megan's not on the education beat, but Megan did the best of both worlds. She's going to be like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to do an education story that deals with health. So she kind of combined. It was very shrewd, very good. Um, you wrote a story a few days back about how in high schools so here in Ohio, we can have the vaccines as early as 16. So you covered how this started. And last week, Worthington was uh, the first school uh, that did it, I believe. Yes. Uh, Thomas Worthington, uh, Nationwide Children's, held their first teen vaccine clinic. Uh, and it sounded like it went pretty well. Yes, yes, it did go uh, pretty smoothly, Chris. Uh, Yes, at Nationwide Children's, they are doing vaccine clinics in uh, high schools in Franklin County. So that students who are eligible, who are 16 and older and want to get the vaccine can make an appointment and then they will come, the clinic will come on certain days. They have a schedule that um, they have made 
and it's usually it's in the gym. So the the clinic will just be in the gym and they'll just call the students down. At Thomas Worthington, they had it um, alphabetically and then over the PA system, they would just call by last names like A through H or what whatever it is. And then they would just, those students would just come down who had appointments and they would just wait in one line to register, sign in, and they wait into in another line and to actually get the vaccine. And then once they got the vaccine, there were tons of tables set up at Thomas Worthington. And then they would wait 15 minutes uh, in the bleachers afterwards to make sure there was no reactions. The nationwide children's nurses were administering the vaccines. Uh, they had some other staff there as well just to be on site and make sure everything was going smoothly. But uh, last week on Wednesday, the first day of the clinic, they administered 600 doses. And the following day, Thursday, they had another clinic and they uh, administered 400. And then they will be back in a few weeks to administer the second shot since it's a Pfizer vaccine. So they have to get the two shots three weeks apart. And so they'll come back three weeks later uh, and do the clinic as well all over again. How'd that work from a permission standpoint? I mean, I'm assuming like do parents sign off on that? And how does that work too with just doctors? Because, you know, sometimes kids have different things going on. How, how do they make sure that worked? Yeah, that's a good question. So they did have to make an appointment. I'm not entirely sure if their parent had to sign off. Um, I do know that Nationwide Children's, their clinic, the parents, if they if they want to, they can actually be at the appointment with their with their student, with their child. Uh, I didn't really see any parents the hour, so I was there at Thomas Worthington. Um, so I'm not entirely sure, but I did hear um, nurses say to students before they got the vaccine, do you want to get the vaccine? Uh, just to verify that they were the ones who really wanted the, the vaccine and it was them consenting for the vaccine. And I'm just making sure because obviously there's going to be a crowd out there going, I can't believe these kids were forced by gunpoint to have a vaccine. But you know, like you said, it was voluntary. They they had to sign up in the past. It was like they were herded down there. And as well, they were asked there saying, do you want the vaccine? So it was almost a two-step process that the kid, I'm sure the parent was involved in some way, mm -hmm. you know, like kids just kind of came on their own. So in essence, probably a three-step process from the parents, from the signing up process to the last, hey, you want the vaccine. So obviously there was a lot of voluntary parts to it. Yes, definitely. Very good. Just just want to make sure my mentions go down. Because <laughs> anytime I talk about this, we, you know, we get some reaction to it. So very good. And you were saying too, um, you know, other schools are drawing Sport, I think you were saying like Westerville did later in the mm -hmm. week. And uh, this happened across high schools because obviously we're allowed uh, 16 and up to get the vaccine now. Yes. Yes. So Thomas Worthington was the first school to host a clinic. So all uh, Worthington students who were eligible again, 16 and up who wanted the vaccine could get the vaccine. Um, but Thomas Worthington, or excuse me, Westerville Central was the second high school to host the vaccine. There's a whole laundry list of districts in Franklin County. Most of them are included who are going to be hosting these clinics, arranging from Columbus City Schools to, um, let's see, Upper Arlington. There's a whole whole long list. Most of the districts in Franklin County are going to be hosting, hosting these clinics. Um, yes, we have Jefferson, Grandview Heights, Groveport, Madison, Hilliard, Kip Columbus, New Albany, Milburg, Whitehall, Southwestern City Schools, Upper Arlington, Eastland, Fairfield, Career and technical skill, technical schools, and also schools operated by the Columbus as well. So it's not just not just public schools, but the diocese schools as well. Now, and you cover Central Ohio. Obviously, we're in more of an urban area. There's more people. I'm assuming that similar things are probably being done in other areas of the state too. I mean, no, that's not your coverage area, but it sounds like this is a a broader effort than just saying here in cities, right? Yes, yes. I'm not entirely sure what other regions of the state are doing when it comes to vaccinating uh, students 16 and up if they're going into the schools and these clinics like Nationwide Children's is. But um, I, I would imagine this is kind of gaining traction. Um, this is definitely with vaccinating students, it's going to help schools return to quote unquote normal quicker. It's what uh, doctors have been telling me um, really kind of all along that once students get the vaccine, that's going to be not, not the, the solution, but it'll be a big piece of the puzzle with moving schools, quote unquote, back to normal with no distancing or, or masks at some point, if, if you can remember what that was like for the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I would imagine, I mean, you know, if it's being done to such a big 
effort as it in Central Ohio. I'm sure other areas in the state are doing something. I'm sure it's not just Columbus that's doing that. And it sounds like the, you talked to some kids there and some families. It sounds like there was some excitement, um, you know, and I, I guess that's the point I made, too, to our listeners. If you're pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, it allows you to do some more things. So you talk to families saying, hey, we can go see grandma in California. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's a thrill of getting a needle in your arm. It's more of saying, hey, look, some of this, whatever this new normal is going to be, we can now at least attempt now because we have the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I don't think many people love getting a shot. I uh, love needles. Yes. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of needles, but the students I talked to were very excited just to have the vaccine and A, have the ease of access of it being in in the schools and not having to miss schools or worry about making an appointment after school while juggling their extracurricular activities. I talked to one student who she works as a lifeguard and also is involved in the sport this spring and and does water polo. So she was having a hard time finding a time outside of school to actually go and get the vaccine and without having to miss school. And so it was really the the ease of access of having to go down to the gym. She missed uh, a little bit of her ceramics class, I believe, but then she was able to go back right into school. Um, but yes, she was saying how with the vaccine, this will help allow her to to do more things that she wasn't able to do uh, during the pandemic, like go visit her great aunt in California, who she hasn't seen in over a year since she hasn't been able to yeah. travel. So she can go to see her aunt or her aunt can come and see her since it sounds like she's vaccinated as well. So just um, definitely seeing more family and friends and reconnecting will be um, really what these students are looking forward to with the vaccine. Yeah, we don't know what the future holds. I mean, you heard some reporting over the past week about saying, well, how long are these vaccines effective for? Well, they may not be effective forever. I mean, we may need to get a booster shot. I mean, we're trying, still trying to figure out this disease. But, hey, it's a step in the right direction. At least, you know, you're able to go see grandma, maybe go to a game this summer, whatever the case might be, you know. It, it seems to make sense. And I'm glad that 16-year-olds are taking advantage of it. I mean, it was interesting for the dispatch and our other papers, I've been doing a story on who's eligible for the vaccine. When it started, there wasn't that many numbers. Now, I think if you look on dispatch.com, it's a brief because it's pretty much like, hey, if you're 16 and up, go get it. Here's information, I'll go get it. So I'm thankful. I mean, I always like having stories in the paper or on the website, but I'm thankful for a story like that's not brief because it's available for a lot more people now. Mm-hmm. So very good. All right. Well, now you're covering education. I know some people might get confused, but like, oh, she's writing about COVID again. But <laughs> hey, it does intersect when you do that. Um, anything? I, I don't want us giving away anything to our competitors, but anything big that you're you're looking at next? I'm sure you, you always got some stuff you're working on. Yes. Yes. So this isn't really COVID related. Indirectly, I guess COVID related. But I tweeted out no, about okay. it last week. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not too worried about people seeing it. Um, and I got the idea actually from Detroit Free Press, so I'm kind of borrowing yeah. from, from them. Yeah. But I'm interested in doing a story um, about what happened to classroom pets during the pandemic last March. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what happened to them? I'm assuming, you know, they went home with someone, they're home with teachers, you know, students, families. What's happening to them now that schools are, are back? Are they returning to the classrooms or are they going to stay home? So I'm talking to some teachers tomorrow um, in Dublin and also Reynoldsburg. Um, I have some emails from Pickerington as well, trying to talk to some teachers and some students as to what kind of happened to their pets. So I don't have a, a, a date for when that's going to run yet, but it's something I am looking into. Well, it's one of those stories that could run whenever, so I'm sure it's not a set date, but no, it's good. Uh, what are we seeing? Is it gerbils, hamsters, that type of stuff? Is there any unusual pets that you're hearing from? Yeah, so definitely some turtle, a lot of turtles. That's the, been a big one. Um, one teacher has some uh, Madagascar cockroaches. Um, so that was kind that's of, that'll be, I'll, that'll be interesting to talk to her. Uh, but mm-hmm. yes, gerbils, hamsters, th- those are the, the main ones so far that I've come across. Very, very interesting. Um, I'm glad my wife is a teacher, and thankfully she doesn't have any classroom pets. We've got enough. We've got two cats and a dog. That's enough pets. Uh, I've got two young humans living with us. <laughs> We've got enough life in our house. So I'm glad that she doesn't have a classroom pet because you're probably talking to everybody we probably have at our house. So I'm glad that <laughs> there's no cat classroom pets in my wife's class. We'll, we'll just say that. So, all right. Well, anything else education related that we should know about? That, or we should be following. Um, not, 
if I, if I can, if I can plug um, the dispatch, our education team, uh, we have actually a podcast ourselves. So uh, I would just like to plug the the Learning Pod. Uh, it's a bi-weekly okay. podcast where my colleague um, Alyssa and Sheridan we get on and just talk about education issues, um, you know, pertaining to K through 12 or colleges as well. So I would just really uh, like to plug that our latest episode. We've done three episodes, and our latest one came out last week, and it was actually about vaccinating students uh, in K-12 and also college campuses. So just plug yeah. that. We got to give a shout out to Alyssa. Everybody works hard. We're not saying she's the only one that works hard, but what a, what a time for Alyssa. In, in addition to her education coverage, she's been one of the main people on the Columbus Zoo story, which has been definitely ever-evolving. We we were excited. We, got, we were trying to get Alyssa on with you one day when you guys worked on a story together. And Alyssa came on, I think it was about a week or two ago, uh, to talk about one of her first stories about the zoo. So it's great to have her on. And uh, I know her and Sheridan, you do big work with the education. So, yeah, check out the learning pod, you said. And also, you guys have a Twitter, too. So okay. not, not just for you, but also for the education beat, right? Yes, yes. Let me pull up the handle. I want to make sure I get it right uh, so I can tell people to give it a follow. Yeah, I'm taking off guard today. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's see. I should I should know this by heart. I, I know it's different. I, I was looking at it the other day, and I can't recall either. So, all right, it's the Columbus Dispatch Education Team. So the handle is at CBus Learning Pod. So give us okay. give us a follow. So you you can keep up with the podcast as well as probably any education stories that come out. And obviously, there's a lot. I mean, there's uh, and it's another good reason to let's give a quick promo to Dispatch.com. And you're sitting there like, oh, why would I subscribe? Well, look, we have stories coming every day. I was on um, the desk. I mean, look, if you subscribe, I will help you. I'm the guy that's putting the stories up in the social media. And even the day that I would describe as slow, I mean, we had, what, 15 news stories Sunday morning. We had news stories coming out throughout the day. Uh, Nick Foligno uh, was a big story, the Blue Jackets captain. And these stories are coming out in real time. So, hey. Print, great. If you want the newspaper, that's fine. There's a lot of great things happening in print. But if you want things breaking that happen every day, I mean, dispatch.com. And I don't know the latest deal, but they have a deal to get you introduced. I mean, sometimes it's like a buck for three months or three bucks for three months. And if you want to be, know what's happening on Columbus, even if you're like, I'm not sure if I want to know everything. Well, if you want to know what's happening that's big or and, and we do a great job of having pop culture and fun stories, too. It's not just the serious stories. Please check out Dispatch.com. I mean, if you're in Columbus and care about what's going on in Columbus, I'm not even sure why you wouldn't check out Dispatch.com. But check it out. You can check out for free. But, again, we encourage you to subscribe. There's a lot of great stories out there. Uh, there's premium stories for subscribers. You might say, well, what the, are those about? Well, these are stories we have for our subscribers. They're a little extra stuff, a little investigative. Good stuff. You'll see a lot of Megan on there, Alyssa, all the other writers. And you might even see a Chris Peel on occasion. I don't write that much, but hey, if you love seeing my name online, hey, never good reason to subscribe. So very good. So hey, we did it. We endorsed the website too. So we, we did what we needed to do. So it's fantastic. All right. Well, as always, Megan, it was a thrill uh, to talk to you. And uh, let, let's do this again shortly. Uh, but thanks again. And thanks for checking out the podcast. Thanks so much for being on, Megan. You have a great day. Thank you. You as well, Chris. All right. We're back here on the Ohioan with a longtime um, guest, um, Jake Zuckerman. Jake from Ohio Capital Journal. How are you doing today? I'm all right. Good to be on, Chris. Thank you. Uh, We've been talking a lot about vaccines, and uh, you've been talking about some of the people who are kind of against vaccines, and we've talked about this idea in the past, but it seems to have taken a step forward where there's a couple of people in the Ohio state house who wants to do a bill saying we're going to prevent discrimination for those who don't want to take the vaccine. And I read your story. It seems to be a pretty comprehensive list of people who just don't want the vaccine for various reasons. Yeah. There's 16 lawmakers who signed on to the bill. I think somewhere in the ballpark of seven of them have actually made public statements about not taking the vaccine. And that's just public statements, you know, who knows what people are considering in their private lives. So I, I think it's safe to say that there's definitely some like personal views coloring this decision, but 
they just want to make sure that there are that there's no legal right of businesses of say the blue jackets to say that you can't come to our game if you're unvaccinated their bill would forbid well it would allow the blue jackets to do that but it would also for, force the blue jackets to let people into the game if they submit anything in writing that says i have a conscientious objection to this so in effect it would really forbid anyone from using any kind of mandate that people receive a vaccine to patronize their business to buy their good or service. And that brings a point because like the bill is talking about anything from like a medical issue, religious conviction, um, you know, reason of conscience, natural, natural immunity. So I guess the thought would be is what, do you just carry around a note in your pocket where if you go up there and say, Hey, I don't have the vaccine, but here you go. Do you just like give it to them? Like how, Logistically, would something like this work? My reading of the bill is you could literally just pull out a sheet of paper and write, I, Jake Zuckerman, have a philosophical objection to this vaccine that let me into the Blue Jackets game, and the Blue Jackets would have to let you in. I'd like, I want to be clear that I'm using the Blue Jackets as a general business here. Yeah, it could be the crew or the Clippers or, or any business or event this summer. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I think the big picture is that we don't really know what consumer demand is like. We don't know what people want yet. We don't know how people are going to get back to their lives. But I could say me personally, I don't want to go to a baseball game and stress test my vaccine and sit next to 10 people who are on To me, that, that's just like an unnecessary risk that I'm not ready to take in my life. So you would think that a lot of private employers, especially airlines, will want to have some kind of device so that they can know is this potential customer of ours vaccinated? And, you know, to, it's not necessarily for their benefit, for the benefit of people who might sit by them. So it's like so many of the other issues that have come up during this pandemic. And this bill, as introduced by 16 House Republicans, would basically block anyone from that consideration. It would effectively prevent businesses from trying to screen vaccinated people from unvaccinated. Yeah, and it would almost seem to be I mean, say you're on the other side. Say you're saying, hey, we don't want to get vaccinated. Let's just open up everything. It would seem to be if a bill like this would go through, I'm thinking if I'm a sports team, if I'm an event, that might make it less likely for me to widely open it up because, yeah, I want money. I want to sell 100% of my tickets. But then on the other hand, I'm sure there's a good portion of people who wouldn't come if there's no restriction at all. So it, it sounds like, if something like this gets in place, if I'm a team or if I'm an event, it might be less likely for me to open up. And we're already seeing evidence of that because already, like the Ohio State Fair is not having any public events this year. So it seems to be if if you're in a camp to say, I want everything to be open, this bill might circumvent those plans too, even if you want everything open. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tricky to, to predict how private businesses might behave. But what's clear is what this bill take off the table you know we don't we don't no. know what consumer demand is going to be like because all human beings that are consumers are new to this pandemic and we don't really know how no. we're going to behave when we're all vaccinated. but what's clear is this bill is removing options from the table and there are i mean it's a pretty broad bill i know one, one issue that i caught on to is the bill as written would probably prohibit hospitals from forcing their employees to get flu vaccines which I don't know if that was the intent or not, but this is a pretty common practice in Ohio and nationally. It's that if you work at a hospital, you got to get the flu vaccine by a mandate from your employer. I've heard, you know, some hospitals will make workarounds. Like if you really don't want the flu vaccine, you can wear a mask. And this is before the pandemic, you know, before the mask yeah. fights. They said you can wear a mask if you don't want the flu vaccine. But this bill will again force that hospital to accept this written slip of paper that says I have a conscientious objection here and allow unvaccinated people to work at a hospital, which I think that a, a healthy slice of the healthcare community would find that an unacceptable solution. You can't have unvaccinated people working in a hospital. So yeah, this I, I don't know if that was the goal of the bill, if that was an unintended consequence, but I think that that's a, a big sticking point that will need to be worked out. And then I think there are just more general questions of What's the thinking behind this bill? You know, every bill is bending the law one way or another. Who's gaining and who's losing here? Because it seems like the people who are gaining are the people who are choosing not to get vaccinated, which is a societally 
undesirable outcome of these undesired, you know, unvaccinated people. Who is the GA tending to? Yeah, and like I said, I, I can't believe that this goes through that, like, you know, your teams and everything are just going to be like, oh, great, let's just have everyone there. Because, I, because I'm also thinking from a liability standpoint, you know, yeah, I'm sure there's policies people could put in place, but you don't want to be that public event that we have outbreak of COVID. You know what I mean? That's not good PR-wise for you, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think there's a um, a thought process that legislators need to go through and say, all right, you know, we got this great idea for a bill, but – how does it, what happens if that bill goes through? And, you know, sometimes when it's raising more questions than answers after the bill goes through, you kind of think maybe there's a way we could rewrite the bill a little bit, you know, make it make more sense. Yeah. And there is a narrower, uh, Representative Katrona has a narrower version of a passport bill, a vaccine passport bill. And that bill would really just bar state bill. My, oh boy, I haven't read this bill in a couple days. So don't quote me on this here, but. Yeah. His bill was more focused on state buildings and what state can do in terms of screening out vaccinated people from unvaccinated people, which is which is a slightly different consideration. I, again, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I you've covered the kind of the oh, it's not dark web, but it's the conspiracy theory side of the web really well. Um, you know. In the past couple of weeks, you know, President Biden and his administration have come out and say, hey, we don't support vaccine passports. That's not what we're looking for. Now, granted, there's times when politicians say one thing sometime and they have to change it for whatever reason. But, you know, it's weird how this thing keeps on going ahead when the boogeyman that conspiracy theorists say have already come out and say, look, we're not even looking to do vaccine passports. Or is there a concern about Maybe they don't think he's telling the truth, or is it concerned more of saying, "Hey, we want to cover ourselves not just for now, but for the future too"? Because, it, it, like to me, it's weird if if Biden would have come out and said, "Yeah, vaccine passports are great. Let's do them right away." But I mean, he's already come out against it. It's weird that there's still that push. Why? Why do you think there's a push since the president's come out against this vaccine passport? I, I'd say a couple things to that. For one, you know, Joe Biden said he's he's against it and he's not rushing to develop a, a pass vaccine passport system. But again, you know, let's talk about priorities. A vaccine passport system is of much less importance than vaccinating the population. Yeah. So you know, I, I think that some people have have gotten some priorities out of order here. Secondly, you know, it, it's not that the demand would come from the government. I would imagine the demand would come from the private sector, especially the airlines who are in the business of taking people between countries. Some of, some countries have vaccination standards to enter the country. So it's unclear what role exactly the airlines play here. And thirdly, you know, the government might not be demanding the passport, but they would be the logical person to create it. You know, you don't. Do you want the private? I guess do you want the private or the public sector to have all this healthcare information? Because if someone's going to make the passport, it's ultimately one or the other. And I mean, lastly, there's a certain conspiracy element within the Republican Party, in which they have this habit of kind of scaring their voters into this idea that's not based in reality, and then using that widespread fear in the base is evidence of a need for action. I mean, we saw it with election fraud. You know, you use the largest megaphone in the world to say the election was stolen. And now this widespread fear about a stolen election is the basis for election reforms in Georgia, et cetera. And like, you know, for months, politicians have been saying, DeWine's going to make a vaccine passport. DeWine's going to make a vaccine passport. And no matter how many times DeWine says, I have no plans to make a vaccine passport, the argument sort of becomes, well, a lot of people out there think he's going to do it, so we want to pass this law anyway. So the tail kind of wags the dog in that sense. Yeah. No, no, I, no I definitely see what you're saying there. I had another question. I had a family member actually ask me this, and I didn't have, as a journalist, I didn't have an answer. I didn't know if you ran into this before. Um, he was asking, he got the vaccine. Uh, he wasn't sure how he felt about it, but he knew it was important. And he travels for his work. So he felt, hey, you know, I need that to do my job. I mean, there's no no way around it. Well, his wife's pregnant and 
just with, you know, nursing and everything else that comes after pregnancy, she felt like it may not be a good idea, not from a moral conscious standpoint, but just from a view of, hey, I'm pregnant right now. Hey, I want to nurse. I, I just don't need that right now. If anything like that ever comes into play, is there exceptions for those type of things where it's not necessarily saying, hey, there's a conspiracy or, you know, I don't like the politics of it. It's just more of, hey, just because of where her health is right now, she shouldn't get that. Has there been any talk about an exclusion just based on a, a relative health situation someone's facing right now? Well, a couple things. Um, for one, my my I think the CDC guidance right now is that pregnant women can get the vaccines but should consult with their doctor. Mm. But in any event, that would probably fall on, assuming that this, this pregnant woman does consult with her doctor and maybe he says, just wait till after the birth. Um, that would probably fall under medical contraindication is the term. So okay. there actually is, and just in about any vaccine mandate in any sector of law, there's room for if you have a physician who says that this vaccine will harm you or your body can't accept it, then you are exempted from that. Ohio schools have that. Uh, I would guess that employer mandates have that. I'm not 100% on that one. But yeah, I mean, if, if there's something medically preventing you from a vaccine, that's the point at the end of the day is va of vaccine mandates is that enough of the herd gets vaccinated so that the the weaker in terms of immune systems, the weaker within the herd still enjoy the protection from those with stronger immune systems who can't accept there's a long-winded answer to Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. It's more of the exception than the rule. I mean, you know, she's a situation that may not be with the vast majority of people. So, okay. Um, what do you, you think this might get passed? I mean, we're in a state house that override the wines veto. So as of now, you know, by June, July, you know, they can override any health mandates. Um, do you think this gets passed because of the way the state house is currently made up? Oh boy, I try to stay away from the predictive businesses yeah. as people. I, I think it's clear that this, this is like the new culture. This is the new culture war of the pandemic. You know, there's always going to be something, and this seems to be the new one. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I just really don't know. I know Governor DeSantis in Florida, who is one of the leading Republicans on a national scale right now, just passed an executive order getting vaccine passports. So there seems to be some momentum on this. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, the override kind of surprised me just, you know, just from a analysis of the, where we're at now, but I guess after the override, who knows? You know, I mean, I don't think anything's necessarily off the table. So should be interesting. Um, well, you know, you're there with the Ohio Capital Journal, as, as you know, and as our readers should know by now, and those who listen to the podcast, OhioCapitalJournal.com, um, they've got stories every day about the Ohio State House, and obviously there's a lot going on with COVID and everything else. Um, Jake, I'm not sure how much you can say about it, but you said you're working on something big. Uh, we probably can expect to see that sometime this week, I'm guessing. Oh, God, I don't know about this week or next week. <laughs> look, look for a good uh, campaign finance Okay. Uh, taxpayer accountability story. That's that's all I can say. Very good, and you know that's important. I I think the one thing that frustrates me sometimes about being a journalist is some. I think sometimes we lose people when it comes to taxpayer stories, and it, it makes me sad because we should care about that. You know, obviously it's you know where your tax dollars are going to. So definitely look out for that. I mean, it's going to be important. Accountability is important. It's accountability is something we need. You know, right now more than anything else. So. All right. Anything else exciting going on at the uh, Capitol Journal uh, this week? Uh, the carry of a knife became legal in Ohio today. Really? That's that's my fun fact for the day. Yep. Yeah, it was a much wow. less talked about bill from the last General Assembly to legalize the concealed carry of a knife. And you don't have? Um, do you have to have some type of permit or anything, or is it just? Oh God, I was going to read the bill. You're <laughs> scooping me on my daily story today. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> wow, uh, but but even with a permit, that's that's kind of crazy. So, I, I guess stay away from people then. <laughs> Just, Watch your mouth and bars. That's that's the yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and the other interesting thing about it is, you know, we're getting at a time. Well, yeah, I put one in effect Tuesday where you have to show restraint if you're being attacked. But, man, I, I don't know. I mean, with concealed carry knives and guns and everything, I, man, I don't know how much restraint you should show anymore, you know? <laughs> I mean, how does that impact that? Because, you know, uh, without change of, of the, you know, the the same new ground bill, I mean, that's going to make it even difficult now that people are able to carry knives and guns. You know, I mean, it, the it's sociological okay. policy data, so you, you never quite know. But I think it's, it's a pretty safe interpretation to say situations are just going to escalate faster. Right now we're at a point where people can carry more weaponry on them and have more latitude to use that weaponry if they feel they are attacked. So I, I, I think that I'm pretty safe making a statement that situations will escalate faster and more frequently. So someone like me, I'm a wimp. I don't like confrontation. I don't like violence. I don't like carrying weapons. I, I probably should just stay away from people. Don't make any opinions out loud about anything and just stay away. I mean, I guess that's that's how I stay alive, right? The pandemic in a nutshell. Yeah. White people. <laughs> just live the rest of our lives like we're in a pandemic because, yeah, I, I don't like confrontation. I don't like hurting people or being hurt or weapons or anything. So, boy, I got I to gotta make sure I stay, give my opinions to myself. <laughs> wow. What, what a world. Jake, you, you're making – you're bringing us down on Monday. This isn't good. Oh, me. <laughs> well, it's not your fault, but, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, wow. So look that up. Maybe if you're out there and you're excited about that, look up. <laughs> Concealed carry knives are not legal. Wow. <laughs> what Don't a, get your knives. Yes. Fun fact for a 9 a.m. Monday. I'm ready to go to bed for the week. <laughs> I'm done with this week. It's over. All right. Well, thanks, Jake, for bringing us down uh, on early in the day, but no, no, that's good. Uh, and as always, follow Ohio Capital Journal. Um, you, you follow them on Twitter uh, and follow Jake. Remind us how, how we follow you. If, if we're not following you by now, shame on you as our, our listener. But how can we follow if we haven't followed you already? I, I'm on Twitter, Jake underscore Zuckerman. Yeah, Z U C K E R M A N. I'll put a link on that, you know, for you to follow online too. So, Jake, as always, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, keep in touch. We're, we're anxious to hear more about that uh, taxpayer accountability story. Right, well, thanks for having me on, Chris. Yeah, I'll be happy to share it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Jake. Have a good one. Talk to yeah, you later. So Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.